Good morning, friends. Good to greet you this morning and be together in, in worship. If for some reason you were having to leave right now and go home, friends, you've heard the gospel. You realise that in the beautiful songs we've sung, in the way we've been leading worship, in the prayers, inviting us to respond, in the reading from God's word, the gospel has been there. How beautiful all that has been. This morning we turn to the, um, la this, the last chapter in um, Peter's first letter and I've entitled it Priceless Gems for You because as I read through this last chapter of Peter, it seems to me that Peter is trying to compress a number of rich jewels of gospel truth into one chapter. This first letter was written probably... Uh, Early in the year AD 64, just as persecution under the young emperor Nero, he was in his mid-twenties, was starting to hot up around the Roman Empire. And Paul was getting more and more convinced that the sufferings were really going to be targeted on the Christians. And so frequently through this letter, he talks about the sufferings that the Christians are receiving. I'm not at all sure whether Peter intended to write a second letter. But later in that year, AD 64, there was a huge fire across the city of Rome and Nero targeted the Christians as being the cause of that particular fire. And so much of the persecution from that point on was targeted directly against the Christians. And Peter became increasingly certain that his time on earth was very limited. And so he wrote a second letter. And we find something of the urgency coming through in that second letter. We're not going to talk about that today because I've got two more weeks to share with you. And we'll look at those next week and the week after. But they're rich, rich um, chapters. And I've only got two bites of the big, big cherry. But never mind. We'll do our best. But this, this beautiful chapter, just brimful of what I've identified as half a dozen um, priceless gems. About this time last year, Isabel and I were roaming around, um, towing our caravan somewhere in the midwest of New South Wales. And we'd been up the Kidman Way and had a couple of nights at Burke on the Darling River and then made our way um, northeast of, of that region up to um, a town called Lightning Ridge. Now, Lightning Ridge happens to be a world-famous centre for opal mining. You've probably heard about it. If you get onto a website connected with Lightning Ridge, you'll see beautiful articles, photographs of these magnificent jewels cut to size. We went into the Australian um, opal um, centre and just had a look at probably a hundred or so, and the people there assured us that what we saw in that display was just a minute fraction of the opals that they have ready to be displayed when their new opal centre, two-storey opal centre, underground, with thermal, thermal heating and... and um, solar power and all that kind of thing, hoping to be open sometime in 
in 2020 or 2021. So if you're planning a trip up north, wait until then, go and visit the Opal uh, Museum up there. But these beautiful, beautiful, rich opals. And we looked down into one of these cases and saw the rich colours of blue and green and purple, and then we saw the rich price as well. But the gems that we look at this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5 are immeasurably richer and greater than those beautiful, shining opals. And the other thing about them, friends, is that they're free because they're expressions of God's grace to us here in time and for all eternity. Let's look at a few of them. Firstly, Peter in verse 1 talks about being an elder, but he goes very quickly on to Christ, off himself, talking about the Lord. He's a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and he's also one who's looking forward to sharing in the glory to be revealed. We don't often talk about that, do we? But friends, our heritage isn't limited to our 70-odd years here on earth. That's only the preparation. beyond. Well, during that time and beyond, we participate and share in the rich glories that have come to us in Christ. And that's what keeps Peter going. He's witnessed the crucifixion, the sufferings of Jesus, but he's got in mind these beautiful glories that are be, to be revealed and one day he will share in those. This is what motivates him to keep going. What about you? Do you ever take time out just to contemplate the glory of God and to realise that that's not just something that's stuck up on a spiritual museum, but it's part of God's nature, which he's beginning to implant in every person that loves Jesus. Here's the first one for you. The promise, heading for certain glory. And then the second one, Peter goes on to talk about the joy of serving. Now, I know that many, many of you good people are involved in some form of serving Jesus, I was going to say, and other people, but we don't separate that. Some of, some of your service is within the ministry life of this church that reaches out and touches many families in our community. I know that a number of you are involved in in work beyond our, our community, in volunteer work for different organisations that touch people's lives at a significant point of need. Serving. What a privilege it is. And we know, well, intellectually, how much it would cost our government, state and federal, if all volunteers in community work Christian service suddenly stopped their volunteering. We don't even want to go there and contemplate all of that. But Peter talks about the joy of serving. And he, he calls himself an elder and he addresses this to elders. I get a feeling 
But sometimes when we start to read 1 Peter chapter 5, if you get that far, you see that Peter is addressing elders. He says, to the elders among you, and we flip the page and go on because we say, I'm not an elder. This doesn't apply to me. But friends, across the New Testament churches, there were several leadership titles that were given to many different forms of service. Many of those leadership roles were similar or even identical. And sometimes there were different titles given to those people. But Peter, I get the impression, is more, more interested in encouraging not so much leaders, but servants. And the New Testament emphasises leadership by servanthood. And isn't that the way Jesus went? Isn't that the model that he gave to us? Remember in John chapter 13 when he was with the disciples and they probably all had dusty feet and somebody needed to get down, bend their knee with a bowl of water and a towel and wipe the disciples' feet. Who was it who did that? Jesus. And he left us an example to not so much do that exact role but take on the role of a servant. And that's the model of leadership that we see and what it is that inspires Peter is there again in verse 6. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Again, we see this wonderful anticipation of the coming of Jesus and the gift of sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ, the eternal saviour of the world being the quality that keeps Peter going in his service and in his living. There's a second gem, the joy of serving. The third one I've called godly mentoring and modelling. Godly mentoring and modelling. Peter talks about young people in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And I get the impression that In those days, there were young people around, there were older people around as well. And for the young people to look to older people and see that they had a quality of life that could benefit them was a rich blessing for these young people. I can remember a hundred years ago when I was a teenager having terrific, I thought they were older but they were pretty young still, People who led our youth groups, they led our sporting clubs in our church at Baldwin. They led a boys club where we used to get up to all kinds of hijinks and try and wrestle one of our leaders to the ground and never succeeded. We, we did all kinds of things. We camped. One of my Bible study leaders who was a sales manager bought this beautiful 1948 straight eight Buick. You remember those days? And he had a block of land up at Monbolk. So he bunched, he got all of the young guys together. We didn't have safety belts in those days. We just crammed in as many guys as he could into, the, into this Buick. And up we went to dig out potatoes off his block of land. And then at the end of the afternoon, we'd have, a, we'd have a fire and a barbecue. Those kinds of things leave indelible impressions in your mind. And I could go on. Several people that I looked up to. I didn't have to be instructed to respect them 
and respect their authority and so on. They just oozed richness of friendship and care and spiritual maturity that we just looked up to. And we were enormously blessed by having older people who spoke in to the spiritual formation of our lives. What a blessing for the young people, the girls and boys in this church, Kilside South Baptist Church, to have those people who invest their time and their love and their energy in young people and in girls and boys. How beautiful to see the children streaming out this morning, running out with a smile on their face so that they could be entertained by Dave out there or whatever else he's going to do out there with them. Godly mentoring and modelling. There's a gem that this church can continue to provide for one another, but particularly for the girls and boys and the young people um, in our church families and beyond. So that's the first three. The fourth one, we read about God, our personal carer. And this scripture's already been quoted. Peter, you read it to us this morning. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now we could have just focused on that rich gem of gospel truth this morning. For how many of you is this a real blessing? And you remind yourself of this truth day after day after day. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Our minds have been full of the drama of those young Thai soccer players locked in that cave for a fortnight or more. And we've been, we've been spellbound by the sacrificial commitment and the immense skill of people who've come from all over the world to enable those young boys to be rescued. And the world is beginning to, to celebrate and honour those people who were the divers um, who went in. Our Dr Richard Harris, who's now back in, in Adelaide, um, remembering the diver who gave his life. Something about gospel truth there, isn't it? Sacrificed his life so that those young boys will come out. Those, those lads, I'm sure, will never be the same as they carry with them on into life the privilege of living because of what other people did for them. And friends, there's, there's, it's such a beautiful, rich gospel analogy for us, isn't it? As we journey on through life, we're only here this morning to enjoy the creation and to enjoy rich worship and to hear from God's word because there was one who went ahead of us, our Lord Jesus Christ, and he gave his life in obedience to the Father's will, so that we might have new life, came back to life again. And that's not just a one-off event, that's a foreshadowing of our own resurrection. And so the gospel goes on. There's one person who hasn't been spoken of a great deal in that whole drama, and that's, that's the coach. 
Do you remember what he did for over a fortnight? He gave up most of his food so that those boys could live. He lived with them 24-7. He identified with their fears. He anticipated the enormous risks that would have to be taken in trying to manage a rescue mission. He was with them day and night. And he bore their cares as they heaped their worries and their anxieties on him. But again, only a pale reflection of the one who carries our burdens. Cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Whatever it is, Paul spoke about this, didn't he? Don't be anxious about anything, which is a bit of an impossible injunction for us. But that's what scripture says. But in everything, by prayer, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to him. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds strong in Christ. Friends, what a rich gem of gospel truth this is. God, our personal care. Number five, evil temptations defeated. If you can't remember these, don't worry. You just go through 1 Peter chapter 5 when you get home and they'll jump up and hit you in the face. 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We know about Every, every horrible expression of evil in our, work, in our world today. What's the scripture say? Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Resist him. We've got a word here about the devil. Never underestimate the subtle influence of evil the devil prowls around with a multi-barrel shotgun and he wears a mask very often looking very attractive but very very deceptive he's a roaring lion he's called an angel of light he's a liar and he's the father of lies he's a murderer he's a deceiver He's an accuser. So much more. These names that are given to the devil. The scripture says, be self-controlled, alert, resist him, stand firm in your faith. When I was an army chaplain with the Army Reserve for a number of years, quite often I'd get a um, a memo or a letter from the chaplain general from the defence forces And he would always finish off his letter with the words, keep the faith, for the faith will keep you. Keep the faith. It's exactly what Peter says here. Stand firm in your faith. And in your faith, resist every subtle attempt of the devil. We come to the last one. If you can say that this is the last 
gem of, of, of gospel truth. There are so many. But verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore and make you strong, firm and steadfast. The God of all grace. I can't think of a richer description of the God of glory than that. The God of all grace. What about Christ? Scripture here says the Christ of eternal glory. Words defy the best scholar to describe the character of God and the character of Christ. But friends, here we have it. The God of all grace. One of the most beautiful words and truth in Scripture. John, when he was writing the Gospel in that beautiful prologue in the first chapter, he talks about Jesus and says, And we have seen his glory, the one and only who came from the Father. Paul, speaking about the grace of God, talks about Jesus being imbued with the totality of God's grace. So that Paul could say, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. The grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, these are not just Words of towering meaning. These are rich truths which words are endeavouring to describe. The question is, do you not only know the words, but do you know the truth that these words convey? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter finishes this letter by saying, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will restore you. Is that what you need this morning? He will make you strong. He'll make you firm. And he'll make you steadfast. The Apostle Paul had some challenges along the way and when he was reflecting on his life, he was writing to the Corinthians and he, he said, look, I've got this, this problem. And he called it a thorn in the flesh. Got no idea what it was. But he wrote to the Corinthians and said, look, three times I've prayed to God that he might remove this thorn in the flesh. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. The grace of God. The grace of God. There's a beautiful story that Brennan Manning tells in one of his beautiful books, The Relentless Tenderness of Jesus. Simple story about an Irish, an Irish priest 
who was out walking around his parish one day. And he saw a poor peasant kneeling on the side of the road, obviously praying. And the priest went up to him and said, You must be very close to God. And the peasant looked up into the face of the priest and said, Yes, he's very fond of me. He's very fond of me. Do you know that beautiful touch of God upon your life? Because he's very fond of you, every one of us here this morning. How do you respond to that expression of the grace and the love of God? May that truth put a fresh spring in your step as you go out into this new week. But friends, if there's someone here this morning and you haven't yet discovered the grace of God, the love of God in your life in in such a transforming way, do something about it this morning. Come and talk with me. Come and talk with one of the worship leaders. Come into the prayer room so that someone can pray with you and help you to find faith in Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, we thank you for these moments this morning when we've been able to absorb again just something of the richness of your love and your grace for each one of us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us not just to relish these riches, but to live them and to share them, to take them into our own lives and share these riches with the people that we mix with this week. May your name and your glory be exalted as a result of the witness of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.